if you've got a problem, you know, sit down with the person and put the problem on the table. Like, don't, don't put it between the two of you. Put it on the table where you both can look at it and talk about the problem. Don't personalize it. You are listening to In Your Element. Where we uncover stories, thoughts, and ideas dedicated to helping you find your own element. Let's dive right in. I hope you enjoy the show. My guest today is Terry. Terry is an executive career coach and speaker and best-selling author of Winning the Game of Work, Career Happiness and Success on Your Own Terms. She works with managers, executives, and professionals who want to draw upon their greatest, most authentic abilities to positively impact their organizations. She supports clients who are creating change, driving innovation, and navigating perhaps tricky transitions. After 30 years of corporate business experience, 15 of which were in senior managerial roles, Terry chose to become a coach to concentrate on helping leaders step fully into their potential to lead satisfying careers. Though the majority of her professional experience is in financial services and marketing, her work exposed her to a wide variety of industries, business climates, and corporate transitions, such as mergers, acquisitions, divestitures, and restructures. So, Terry, I'm so excited to have you on the show. How are we doing today? I'm doing great, Aaron. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. That's awesome. I was doing a bit of reading about you and the work you do and your bio. And, you know, one of the things that I find really interesting is being able to have conversations with people who just have a wealth of experience and, and knowledge and, and wisdom and kind and trying to pick apart those sort of nuggets of wisdom and, and stories. And I want to start off with a question that might be a little bit um, off-ball. And that is, I'd love to hear, you know, as someone who spent some time in corporate America, you must have um, some pretty interesting stories. And I know this is, you know, you've mentioned some of these in, in your book. Um, and I'd love if, if you might have any, any particular interesting stories that you'd like to share. Um, I mean, there's so many. I, I, it's hard to know where to even start. Um, one of the the stories that I share in the book is about um, a really terrible manager that I had, and um, and I think it's very easy when people are working for somebody that's really not a good manager to to complain and get really focused on that, which is definitely what I did. And I came home every night and I drank a lot of wine <laughs> to, try to, <laughs> to try to cope with it. Um, she was somebody that was very disorganized. She was, you know, abused people. She, I, I start, I start the story off in the book by saying that I could hear her screaming through the wall, uh, through the office wall that I shared with her. She was screaming at the dry cleaner that was in our building about them supposedly use, losing a pair of her pants that went with her suit. Oh, wow. Um, which, you know, whether they lost them or not, and actually having known her for a while and understanding how unorganized she was. I'm sure that the pants were probably laying in the bottom of her closet at home. But <laughs> but anyway, um, the the lesson that I really learned from that, I mean, I, I won't go into a lot of the details, but she was not a good manager. Um, and, and she did eventually uh, get let go from the company about after about um, 10 months. But the lesson that I learned from that was that I was very miserable during that time. 
Um, I did make it a little bit better for myself by realizing at one point, because she, she basically told me I was going to be put on a performance improvement plan if I didn't change my attitude towards her, which I was avoiding going to her because she was a bottleneck and I realized, well, I don't want to get fired. So I, um, I popped my head into her office every day and sort of pasted a smile on my face and said, Oh, hi, how are you this morning? And once I, once I did that, she started treating me differently. She started actually coming in my office and confiding in me. And I still didn't care for her, but I did, you know, shift the energy in the relationship. I still wasn't very happy, but when she suddenly was let go, I mean, it was a a really interesting um, thing that happened. I was sitting in my office probably about quarter after five and the voicemail light on my phone just popped on like the phone didn't ring or anything. And usually when that happens, that means they've sent out a blast message to, you know, a certain list of phone numbers. And so I listened to the voicemail and it was the the head of the department who was in a different city um, stating that this woman was no longer with the company. <laughs> and it was, I, I was like doing my happy dance. And, and in fact, I ran out in the hallway and one of my colleagues had heard the message at the same time. And she ran out and we both did a happy dance out in the hallway. But I I was very relieved that she was gone. But what I realized was that I was, um, my misery was caused by me. It wasn't caused by her. You know, it was really what I thought and the way I responded to the way that she acted that caused my misery. And um, that was a, that was a huge lesson. And I, and I think I realized that when suddenly she was gone and I felt such a huge burden lifted off my shoulders. And I thought, well, what's really changed here, right? It's just an idea, right? It's just the the knowledge that she's not going to be coming back into the office the next day. And, you know, I could have done it differently. <laughs> and it, it was a big lesson that I took from that too. I think that's a really interesting story. Thank you for sharing. You know, wh- one of the things that you mentioned there was how after some time, the energy in the relationship changed between you and, and your former manager. And I think a lot of us in, in, in the corporate world, you know, in, in work environments, a lot of us tend to, sometimes we have, we have managers, we have, uh, you know, peers, colleagues that we work with that, you know, for lack of a better word, we may not perhaps get along with them as well as we would like to. And I think it's really interesting, the, the strategy that you employed there to, to try and improve, improve the relationship. I'm curious if you have any other any other strategies or techniques that you may have used or you may, you know, advise people to use that could help others in similar situations improve those relationships with either their colleagues or their managers or people they may have difficulty connecting with? Yeah, I mean, I, um, you know, it's funny about that, that thing that I did, because I was forced to do it. You know, it wasn't like I really wanted to do it, but I did learn a, a valuable lesson that I could take. I could take control and responsibility for the situation by treating her nicer and more humanely, not avoiding her. Um, and I think one of the the lessons, and it might pertain to this, I don't have the wherewithal to kind of think it through, but um, it's something that I've probably also learned the hard way, which is a lot of times when we have problems with people at work, um, we make it personal, you know, and we'll, we'll complain and say, oh, well that, you know, that person is not 
getting back to me or they're, you know, they're doing something to make my job harder. And I, I would think that it makes a lot of sense to treat people like people, you know, don't demonize them and to not kind of put the problem between you where you're pointing fingers at each other, but to, and, you know, and this is sort of, um, symbolic, right? Or I don't know if that's the right word, but if you've got a problem, you know, sit down with the person and put the problem on the table. Like, don't, don't put it between the two of you, put it on the table where you both can look at it and talk about the problem. Don't personalize it, you know, and it, and it could be something like, you know, I think people have a tendency to say like, oh, that person's so terrible. They make judgments. Um, they're so terrible because they never get back to me on time. Well, maybe there's a reason for that. Maybe they're running into issues and it's not about them trying to make your job more difficult. It's, you know, if, if we approach them with, you know, openness and curiosity, we might find that together we can find a way to deal with the problem. But as soon as you um, personalize it and you make it about that other person being bad, why would anybody want to deal with you? And, and I guess this is where it ties back to my old boss is that, you know, she was new in her role and I was avoiding her and, you know, kind of going around her. I had my reasons for doing that because she wasn't, she wasn't giving me feedback on a lot of the projects that I was doing and she was making them late. Um, but nevertheless, it was her prerogative to instruct me on how to do my job. I mean, she was my boss and, um, you know, I, I was, you know, demonizing her by saying, well, she's so terrible and all of this. But when I started treating her nicely, she relaxed. And even though I still didn't care for her style of working and the way that she treated people, I still gave her respect. And in response, she gave me respect back and it made my job a lot easier. Um, it still wasn't fantastic, but, you know, and, and I think so often we just like through a knee jerk reaction, we'll become defensive and, you know, we don't always want to look at ourselves and say, well, what is it that, that I'm doing that I could do differently? We want to make it about somebody else. We want to like pin the blame on someone else. And that's, that is not an environment where you're going to easily find solutions to problems. Absolutely. There's a lot there that really resonates. I think in particular, you mentioned, you know, put the problem on the table, don't personalize it. And I think that's really interesting because as you mentioned, this curiosity and openness to solve a problem, I think is, is not just the logical way to go about uh, you know, dealing with these kinds of issues, but it also has some biological ramifications as well. So it just so happens, you know, if you if you go into a situation feeling very angry, frustrated and stressed, well, your brain is going to prevent you from coming up with those creative solutions, because when you're exactly when you're stressed, then the brain sticks to what is what it knows, you know, the tried and tested and it, it limits creativity. So I think that's really, really important. One thing I'd be really curious about is if there are any occasions that you may have come across or you may have seen in your clients and, and the people that you work with where this approach may not necessarily work, is there an exception to the rule? Well, you know, I, I think that it's necessary to try these things. Um, but I will also say that um, 
you know, sometimes you can be in a terrible situation. You can be in a toxic, abusive situation. And um, putting yourself in a position where you're going to open yourself up to further abuse is, um, you know, that that's not wise. <laughs> um, but I think sometimes people will um, make judgments without trying something that might not be as catabolic. Um, and I, I'll give you an example. Um, I, a couple of jobs ago, I worked for an organization and they, they sort of shifted the way that they did things. I was in marketing. And when I first worked there, um, marketers were more generalist. Like we would just do anything that was involved in the project. So for example, if we came up with a marketing plan and um, one of the activities was to do an event, I would manage the event. But as time went on, they <clears throat> they changed things where there were specialists. There were, you know, sort of what they call centers of influence or centers of excellence. So they they put together an event team. And so I would come up with a plan, work with my internal clients on what the plan was, and then I'd have to hand off to the event planner. And she was very busy and she was not very responsive. And I was getting a lot of pressure from my internal client to just do it myself, which I would have basically gotten in trouble if I had done that because I would have been doing something that wasn't my job. And I was complaining to my boss about it. And I was saying how terrible, <laughs> just, listen, I've learned all these lessons myself the hard way, <laughs> but I was complaining to him about how terrible this event planner was and how she never got back to me. And, <clears throat> you know, I was totally personalizing it. And he said, I want you to take her to lunch. And I said, what? I don't want to have anything to do with her. She makes me mad. She's not doing her job, blah, 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 blah. Um, he said, no, I want you to take her to lunch. And so I, I did take her to lunch. I invited her to lunch. We went to lunch. And lo and behold, when you're sitting across the table from someone who is human, <laughs> you're eating together, it's, you can't demonize them, right? She was so, she was like, oh, nobody ever asked me to lunch. You know, it was like, I got to see her as a human being and I got to understand that she had a lot of things on her plate. She was busy. And we talked about things that I could do to, you know, maybe help her be more responsive. And, you know, it's funny because this is probably 20 years ago and I'm still connected with her on LinkedIn, you know, and I, I'm happy to see like how her career is progressing. You know, it's just, it's nice. It's nice to, to humanize, but um, going back to, the question that you asked earlier, there are, you know, people who are looking for the opportunity to manipulate, to take advantage. And it's important to step back and really say, okay, is this a situation that if I treat this person humanely, that they'll, they'll sort of relax and we'll come to a, you know, a meeting ground in the middle where we can, you know, get into that solutions oriented place, or is this a situation where, you know, this person is going to gut me if I let my guard down, you know, and um, it, I can't say, you know, sometimes you, you have to like do some trial balloons, right? Like maybe you don't expose your, you know, yourself completely, but you, you know, you try something smaller that's less risky and see if 
if there's any response there or you observe like how, you know, what's going on around you. You know, if somebody raises an issue, do they immediately get fired? <laughs> you know, in that case, it might make sense to duck and cover and look for another job and get out of there as soon as possible. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And that's that story that you shared, I think is, it's particularly interesting because it goes back to this idea of helping to build relationships with people. And especially since I, I started working, I, I've really grown to appreciate just how powerful having strong relationships is to the point where I've developed a bit of a, a love for just connecting and meeting new people and, and growing my network because that just gives me a chance to build more relationships. And it's come to the point now where I'm having conversations with people in my role and they'll mention, oh, there's this guy who does this on this team. I'm like, oh, you mean Jeremy or Kaylee or, or whatever. And um, it makes work feel like a much smaller place. And I love that. And one of the things that I wanted to ask you was you've given two great examples of how um, you've managed to help improve relationships. Do you have any other piece of advice for how we can improve our relationships at work? Um, well, I mean, you know, you, you brought something up earlier about, you know, that kind of biologically how you're absolutely right about like when, when we're in sort of the fight or flight response, you know, when we're <clears throat> feeling like we need to avoid somebody or fight them or be judgmental about something that's going on. Um, that uh, like bio biologically, right? Like the, the, the blood goes away from like our brain to our, um, I, I don't know. I'm actually not a biologist, so I can't, <laughs> can't talk about this, but um, I think that we can start thinking outside of that, you know, fight or flight response, right? If we feel that there's something that feels threatening, I think it's important to stop in that moment and say, what's really going on here? What's, what's the belief that's making me feel like I want to avoid this situation or that I feel like I need to be judgmental or find blame? Um, because sometimes if we really examine what that belief is, we'll realize that, you know, that belief is coming from maybe something that happened in the past, that it really, you know, maybe this person that we're feeling like we need to, to avoid, they actually haven't done anything to make us, you know, need to avoid them. They might just remind us of somebody, or maybe we've gotten in the habit of, you know, feeling intimidated by, you know, authoritative people or something like that. And it, I think it's important to like examine those beliefs and also start to think like, is there a different way that I could respond to this? You know, what would it, what would it feel like if I just tolerated this situation for a little longer to see what happens? You know, if I didn't feel like I had to make a decision right now about how to respond, what would happen if I, if I tried to care for this person? Right. I, I think that, you know, that, that situation where I, I asked that colleague to lunch I was actually showing care, even though I was being forced to by my boss. <laughs> but once I did, it just be it felt natural, you know. And I think that um, other things that you can think about are like, okay, um, what's the opportunity here? You know, rather than feeling like, you know, I have to I have to find some blame or, you know, what's the opportunity or what if what if we could connect 
on this thing rather than like being at the, those very low levels of energy where, you know, fight or flight. I mean, honestly, I, I always think of like when you're in that fight or flight, you're looking at the world through a pinhole. And, you know, I, I think like, why don't we like stop and, and just be present for a moment and peel the blinders back and look around and see what else is going on here and how else can I respond to this? Um, I think that there's a lot of possibilities once, once you do that. And, you know, I, I think that we as humans, you know, we get programmed to treat things like as mortal threats sometimes when they're not. And most things that work are not a mortal threat. You know, uh, yet we, yet we like have that, that instinct to respond that way. And I think that we just need to examine that a little more closely and question like, how else can I respond here? Mm. And do you think that that response that we feel when we think something is a mortal threat, could that sometimes perhaps speak to some of our own insecurities or do you think that it, 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 it relates to our experience, everything that brought us to this moment in time. And, you know, a lot of times as a coach, I can tell you that I've seen this many times is that, you know, when somebody, usually people come into coaching because whatever they've done to get them here is not getting them what they want going forward, right? So they're trying things and it's not working. And they're like, okay, well, I want to get to the next level or I want to, you know, run a more efficient department and I'm trying stuff and it's not working. So they come to a coach and, um, you know, I, I honestly have, you know, I guess the privilege of people trusting me to ask them questions and really, and they think about it and come back to me with the things that, you know, are true in their lives. And, you know, sometimes I'll ask people like, well, okay, if this is your belief, where did that come from? And, very often things can come from their childhood, you know, like we, maybe um, their parents were, were really, really strict. And so they have in their mind that there's a belief that if they make a mistake, that something really significant is going to happen to them, right? Because maybe that's what happened to them when they were a child. Maybe they had, you know, they were punished severely if they made one little mistake. Well, that becomes almost like programmed into us, right? But there's a big difference between being a five-year-old who has absolutely no control over their life and having to adhere to whatever the expectations of their parents are or else, you know, be punished severely and being a 35-year-old, right? I mean, we might still be acting that way because it's almost like programmed into us. Um, but if that's causing problems, you know, if, if somebody is, um, you know, a tyrant because they, they expect everything to be perfect and, you know, people on their team are quitting left and right, right? Well, maybe it's time just to look at that and say, well, where did this come from? And what would happen if I replaced this belief with something different? Um, and we can all do that. I mean, that's how change happens. That's how lasting change happens. I mean, um, when, when we try to do things from that outside in, you know, if we say to ourselves like, oh, I'm going to throw out all the cookies in the house because, you know, I'm on a diet. Um, if we don't really deal with the reason why we're overeating cookies to begin with, and then we'll go out and buy more (laughs) and we'll eat them or we'll 
go out to the corner ice cream store and, and, you know, we're, we're going to overeat if we're not dealing with like, what's the, what's the issue underneath of this, that's making me do this. And it's, it's the same with behavior, you know, interacting with people, behavior at work, behavior with friends or family. Absolutely. I think dealing with that root root cause, that root issue can save you a lot of time because I think it's very human to want to deal with the symptoms, to suppress the symptoms in a lot of cases as well. And one one of the things I'd love to to get into is you mentioned as an example one of the, you know, one of the limiting beliefs that people may have um, that can draw them to behave like this. And so I'd love to I'd love to get from your perspective what some of the most common blocks and limiting beliefs people might have are that will prevent them from getting to that next level in their in their career and perhaps what some of the strategies might be to overcome that. Yeah, you know, I think that um the limiting beliefs are myriad, but it always boils down to people feeling like they're not good enough, you know, and, and so like, maybe they feel like they're not good enough. And the belief that that corresponds with that could be, I have to be perfect. Um, it could be that, I mean, there's, there's so many, <laughs> there's so many, but I think that what, um, what it all comes down to is accepting yourself and, and being able to tell yourself that you are good enough. And it, even if you make a mistake that you're still worthy Right. Because I think that that's where a lot of our behavior comes from, of like trying to protect ourselves from feeling like we're not worthy. And we are. Everyone is. Everybody on Earth is worthy. Um, And, you know, there can certainly be, you know, situations where you get fired or whatever, you know, where your boyfriend or girlfriend breaks up with you or something terrible happens. But for us to equate that with unworthiness is not true. And, and I think that when we can, when we can really embrace ourselves and understand that, that we are worthy, and I'm not talking about narcissism, I'm talking about true, solid, authenticity, that true self self self-love, um, we have the confidence to show up as we are. And, um, you know, there's, there's no need to like put a mask on in terms of like trying to pretend like we're something that we're not. And, you know, if you, if you think about people that maybe you've, you've met that you, and I don't know, like a lot of times people will say, Oh, I really like that person. Um, because that they don't worry about what other people think, right? They're going to say what they think. They're going to show up as they are, even if, you know, their shoes are scuffed or, you know, their gray boots are showing or, you know, whatever they show up as they are. And when, when any of us do that, it gives other people the, um, permission to show up as they are too. Hmm. I think that is so powerful. Just being more authentic and showing up as you are. And I think something that comes to mind for me in particular is how that attitude can really help when you need to communicate. Because I think bringing your, yourself as you are and your, your passion as well, it, 
it really helps when you have to communicate with people because when someone can see that you're being authentic, that you're being you're honest and you really, really care about something, then that can really help you go that that extra mile. And so I think that's a really powerful piece of advice. A lot of times when I'm coaching somebody, they'll say, you know, oh, I, I need to talk to my boss about this. And, you know, and they'll explain to me like clearly what's going on. I feel I, I feel this way when this happens and blah, 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 blah. And how should I talk to my boss about it? And I, and I say exactly the way that you just said it to me, right? Like so often people, they want to like, communicate something, but they want to protect themselves from maybe what that person might think or what they might do. And, you know, and, and then maybe they, they sort of dance around the issue and it, and it, it's maybe they frustrate the other person um, because they're not being clear. They're not sharing the impact that it's having on them. And, you know, I, I'm not going to say that, you know, showing up as you are, that there's not going to be conflict and that um, there might not be consequences of, of doing these things, but at least you're dealing with what is and not pretending, you know, because that causes a lot of stuff that causes a lot of problems on its own. You know, when we try to protect ourselves or we lie or we, you know, um, don't tell the whole story or we don't, you know, we pretend like something doesn't bother us right? We're just causing other problems when that happens. Um, or, you know, a lot of times people will bottle things up um, until they can't take it anymore. And then they blow up, right? They have a big emotional response. And that's scary. <laughs> you know, That's scary to other people because it's unpredictable. Um, but if we could just along the way say, you know, this this is causing this impact on me. And I'm wondering if we can look at doing things a different way or you know, the person might say, I didn't even know. I'm sorry. I'll, yeah. I'll do something different. Right. Mm, yeah. I think when some, something that I, I'm, you know, I think a lot of people might also struggle with is I think one of the reasons why would we find it difficult to be straight, so to speak with, you know, our higher ups and our, our peers and colleagues might be because we, we fear to, you know, we fear being vulnerable and, and kind of showing how we, we truly feel about something. And it might drive us to want to, as you mentioned, you know, beat around the bush and, and to dance around a particular topic without being straight. And I think that's something that, that I tend to struggle with sometimes. I always want to make sure that, you know, I'm being as gentle as possible around a particular topic, but sometimes that may not be the best approach. Sometimes it's better to just be completely honest and, you know, with with a degree of of respect, of course, and then being polite. But sometimes that can be the more the more effective approach because then the worst thing that might happen if you don't do that is that you know the person on the other side doesn't really interpret that dancing around the bush as what you're trying to actually communicate, and that can lead to all sorts of issues. They may get frustrated and say, I, I have no idea why you were in my office. <laughs> you know, why why did you even come to talk to me? I don't understand what you're saying, right? And so that causes another problem. Um, you know, I think that you're I think you're absolutely right about the um the fear of being vulnerable. And, you know, I think the reason why we fear being vulnerable is because we don't want to be hurt. And um you know, sometimes we can be hurt by trying not to be vulnerable, or we can hurt other people by trying not to be vulnerable, um, by protecting ourselves. But, you know, I think that 
yeah, we can be hurt if we're vulnerable. But to me, I think that the bigger issue is not really what other people think of us, but what we think about the situation. You know, and I, I, um, I wrote about this in my book that, you know, perception is reality. And, you know, people will argue about that. But, you know, all we have to do is say, like, if you and I were, you know, on the street together, and we saw an event happen, you know, something, I don't know, could be anything like people con- conversing or a car accident or whatever, um, that each of us are going to perceive that in our own way. And you've probably been with a friend or family member where you've seen the same thing. And one of uh, one of you will say, oh my gosh, that's terrible. And the other one says, what's the big deal, right? And, and it's all because of our own beliefs and our perceptions about what that is. Um, and, and it can hurt not to be connected on those things. Um, but, you know, if you say, for example, went to your boss and you asked for something and, and you were being vulnerable and you, you know, you were being very truthful about it, you know, there's, there's a whole range of ways that your boss could respond to you. And, you know, probably some that you might, um, think, you know, okay, you might fear like, oh, he's going to say, no way, don't, I'm, I'm not going to give you a raise or whatever. Or she might say, um, you know what, I was thinking about giving you a raise, and I'm glad that you brought it up. Or it could be something completely different, right? But um, we, you know, by us not even going there, we don't learn something, Right. Because even if you went in and your boss was like, I'm going to fire you for you asking me for a raise, well, that gives you some information about what's really going on there. And if, if uh, you know, somebody's going to respond in that way, and then it would have to make you question whether that's even a good fit for you anyway, you know? And it might be, you know, in the short term inconvenient because you asked for a raise and your boss fired you, right? It would be inconvenient because you wouldn't have a job, but you'd probably in reality, be in a better place, right? Because that was that was that type of place before you pressed it and found out for sure, right? So you were sort of like, in some ways, maybe walking on eggshells beforehand, but you got some information that was useful. Yeah, totally. If, if you see such a negative reaction to trying to be vulnerable and authentic, then, then perhaps it is not a great fit for you. And if you unfortunate enough not to actually encounter that for a long part of your career, then then it, it probably suggests that you're putting on some kind of mask. You're not really being your authentic self. And that's not really a great long-term strategy. So that makes, that makes a lot of sense. You know, if you come out of that conversation with the boss and it's, and it's a negative response, you know, you can either say, oh, I was so stupid that I asked for this, or you can say, that was reasonable. And even though that wasn't a pleasant experience, I still support myself. And I think that that's the difference between people that are happy and confident and people that feel, you know, depressed and anxious, right? If, if we are willing to be there for ourselves and to give ourselves support, you know, even when things are difficult to say, you know what, you good for you that you asked for what you needed, 
you know, and even though you didn't get it, there's no shame in that. Right. But if we shame ourselves and we say, oh, you were so stupid. Why did you do that? Like that's undermining us as people. And, um, you know, we all deserve more than that. You know, we, I think we all deserve to stand there and, and be advocates for ourselves. Absolutely. I think I heard this quote somewhere that said, you got to be your number one fan. And because if you're not, then who else is, right? We, we may be fortunate enough to have people within our, within our circles who support us. And, you know, I'm very grateful to have a, a really supportive family and, and network of friends. Uh, but, you know, in the day to day, in the minutia of the details, sometimes, you know, you don't have that support from other people. So you've got to be there for yourself. You've got to show up for yourself. I think it's so important to to make sure that you do congratulate yourself for doing the hard thing to make that ask and you pick yourself up when it doesn't go your way either. And I think that's that's a great way of building resiliency as well. I'd love to go a little bit off topic because it's a question that I've had in my mind for a little a little bit now. We mentioned this idea of kind of being your authentic self and communication, building relationships. Something that you talk about in, in your book is the idea of, of how we should sometimes step off the sidelines and really jump into the game. And a lot of people avoid office politics for, you know, the very distaste that you that you write about. And I think it really ties into this idea of, you know, beating around the bush and, you know, building relationships, communication. And so in order to advance, you know, to learn to influence and create an impact at work, is it inevitable that we have to learn how to navigate office politics to succeed? Or what do you, what is your take on that? Well, I mean, I think that when we work in an organization, we get things done through working with other people. I mean, it's rare that somebody is like a complete, you know, solo player, right? That, that they do everything on their own. They, they have to work with other people to get things done. And, and that means that you're going to need to have relationships. And if you work in a large, or maybe not even large, but a, a, an organization where you're working with other people, there's going to be politics. I mean, honestly, you know, if there's more than two people involved in something, there's going to be some politics. And, you know, politics is just really about influencing. And I think that a lot of times people, you know, they get kind of a sour taste in their mouth around politics. And I believe it's because there are a lot of people out there who are good at politics and they're actually not good at much else, you know, that they'll, they'll you know, ingratiate themselves or, you know, um, try to take credit for other people's work or, you know, kind of manipulate things so that they can move up. And, you know, that's, I completely understand not having a lot of respect for people that use politics that way. But, you know, if you understand how to influence and you work hard, that's a really an unbeatable combination. And, you know, you talked about something earlier about how you really like to connect with people and how you'll, you know, somebody will mention someone and you'll say, oh, yeah, like John in that other department, right? Like, you know, you know, that person that it was reminding me of um, at the last place where, where I worked, I had four different jobs over 12 years. And I worked in different divisions, I had different types of functional roles. And because of that, I actually got to know a lot of people within the organization and different 
um, businesses in different countries. And, and over time, I mean, you, you literally are building a network and people used to say to me sometimes like, you know, how do you know that person? <laughs> right? um, but because I knew these different people, I could pick up the phone and say, hey, you know, if somebody's having trouble with something, I could pick up the phone and just say, hey, you know, do you have any information on this? Or, you know, we need this or, or whatever, right? Like people make this stuff happen. And, you know, another, another um, thing that I'll mention that is that as a, a senior manager in the marketing department, um, I reported up to the chief marketing officer and there were maybe like, I don't know, six or seven other people at my level who all had teams that reported to them. And I was in the U.S. and just about everybody else was in Canada. And so a lot of those people never really saw people on my team. But when it came time to uh, get, you know, give promotions, each manager had to make the case for the people that they wanted to promote because, you know, in, in big companies, they'll limit the number of people that can get promoted, right? They, they're not going to, because every manager might be like, oh, everybody on my team wants, to, you know, they, they all deserve to be vice presidents, right? Like they want to limit it and they want to make sure that people have really earned that right. So I would make my case, but I could not get somebody promoted unless there was somebody else on the team that knew of them and could sort of in some ways second my nomination. And so if, you know, sometimes people think that if, oh, if I just sit over here in the corner and I just do great work, that people will discover it and I'll get promoted. And that's not how it works. You really have to allow yourself to be seen. You have to, you know, allow people to know, like, and trust you basically, if you want to, if you want to get ahead. And again, I think that this, this, um, you know, kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier with the vulnerability, I think that that does keep people from interacting more and, you know, doing favors, asking for favors. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that greases the skids and helps things get done. You know, like I, I feel like, um, and my last company, um, knowing people and sometimes like if something weird was going on, you know, you could call somebody and say, Hey, have you heard anything? You know, are we about ready to buy another company or, you know, uh, it, and it wasn't like I was, I don't know, sometimes that, that can just help you to sort of like prepare or position yourself. If you can, you know, be on the grapevine a little bit, or if, if, um, I don't know, people know of opportunities and they, they know you and they'll call you and say like, hey, there's a job opening here. You know, these are all like good things and, and it happens through being connected with people. But it does mean that, you know, you will be somewhat vulnerable, right? If, if more people know you, that could be more people to criticize you. But, you know, that, that also goes back to like, how do you show up? You know, are you going to show up as a person who's, you know, wants to be helpful? You know, I, I feel like um, one of the important things with networking is uh, reciprocity, right? Like, and, and maybe some of those people that are good at politics and that we sort of, you know, disdain, it's because they're not reciprocal. They might be just using people around them and not trying to help people at the same time. I think there's there's a lot of 
there's a lot of truth to that. In in particular, you know, a quote that comes to mind for me when when you were when you were talking about this was it's an African proverb and it, it goes like this. It says, if you wanna go fast, go alone. But if you wanna go far, go together. I think it's a really powerful way of summing up some of um some of what you were you were talking about there because I think it is very easy to get stuck in our corner and especially for, you know, for example, people in my line of work, we're, we're engineers, it's, it's, it's very easy for us to, to sit in our corner, to hide behind a computer screen and to, you know, uh, cram away at, the, at that keyboard. But really, I think the magic happens when we are able to work with people and that just takes you so much further because you can do a lot very quickly on your own. But the moment you hit roadblocks, you, you know, stumble into something, you're dependent on someone else, or maybe even you yourself are going through some some issues and you need some more support. That all of that, it's just it's greatly improved when you have people to lean on as well. And so I think that's Yeah, yeah. It's it's uh yeah, it's it's interesting because a lot of times um when I'm working with people and coaching, they're well, and all of the time, they're highly intelligent. You know, they, I talk about working with people that are successful, but not satisfied. There's a reason why they're successful, but sometimes there's a reason why, you know, they've, they've gotten stuck as well. And interestingly enough, a lot of times it's because they are, you know, really fast processors, like that they can size up a situation very quickly and decide what needs to be done. And then they want to move quickly on it as well without laying the groundwork to bring other people along with them. And that's usually where the disconnect is, is that, you know, they get frustrated or they just try to move along without realizing that other people process differently, or maybe they process at a different speed or they don't see it from that perspective. And so it's not, uh, and, and then actually a lot of times people start doubting themselves. They'll say like, am I crazy? Is there something wrong with me? Like, you know, I see this so clearly and why does nobody else see it? Or, you know, why are they, you know, am I just not that intelligent? And and it's not that, you know, if they, if they, if they did stand there with themselves and say, no, I believe my perception here, but what else could be wrong? And a lot of times what's wrong is that they haven't, you know, built the relationships or built the case with other people to get them to start seeing it from their perspective. And and that can take, that can take a while. And that also can take a different skill set than a, than a lot of people have, you know, that's where coaching comes in actually. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Terry, I know we're coming up to the top of the hour now, and it's been a fascinating conversation. Um, one of the things that I would love to ask just before we wrap up is, given your uh, 30-somewhat years of experience in, in the corporate world, what would be some pieces of advice for uh, some of us folks who may be at the beginning of our career and trying to navigate that very tricky tricky water? Um, what, what kind of advice or, or wisdom would you have? Hmm, there's so much. <laughs> um, you know, I think that realize that as you're moving through your career, that every person that you meet is um, is a valuable resource for you. And, um, you know, I, I've been really interested to see how, you know, somebody that maybe was an administrative assistant at some place I worked, you know, went on to get an MBA and now is like, leading marketing someplace, you know, it, you just never know where people are going to end up. And so, you know, be careful about, 
you know, not judging and, and treating each person that you run across with, with respect. Um, I think that it makes life more enjoyable, but also it's just, it's just wise, <laughs> you know, because you don't want to burn any bridges. Um, and it's, it's very, it's fun and satisfying years later to like hook back up with people that, you know, you knew way back when. Awesome. I think a lot of us, including myself, will be taking that to heart um, and, and really and really um, and really using that because I think I think we're right. You, you never know, you know, what how those connections might be useful in the future. And I think, you know, even just taking a step back, it's great just to just to build relationships for the sake of it. It's what makes us happy as as human beings. Yeah, we're social creatures. Uh, we thrive off of that sort of thing. So I think that's that's great advice. That's great advice. So yeah, uh, Terry, it's been fantastic getting to have this conversation with you, learning a bit more about what you do, some advice and, and wisdom from all your experience working with clients and in corporate America. Um, I think the viewers are going to get a real kick out of this and we'll have some real some real takeaways from, from this conversation. Before we go, is there just anything that you'd like to mention? Um, where can people find out more about you, about your work and get in touch if they'd like to work with you? Well, um, people can go to my website at terrybmcdougal.com. Um, also, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn, so um, people can reach me there, and I'm happy to get LinkedIn. My handle is terrybmcdougal. And then my book, uh, Winning the Game of Work, is available on Amazon worldwide. And then one last thing to throw in is I do have a podcast. It's focused on marketing. Um, really, it's just conversations with uh, interesting marketers from around the world. And um, it's at marketingmombo.net. That is awesome. I'll make sure to put all of those in the show notes so that you all folks can check it out. So that was it for today's episode. Thank you so much, everyone, for taking the time to listen and share your attention with us today. I hope that you have a fantastic rest of your day and rest of your week. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the show. In Your Element is proudly brought to you by a single dude from his London apartment. This show does not have social media. I'm not going to ask that you leave a rating or a follow. Instead, I'd love to see you coming back just because you're seeking something different, are genuinely curious, and are looking for ways to really find and live in your element, just as I am. As always, keep being you. Keep crushing life and keep finding your element. I'll see you in the next one.